Hi everyone, welcome back to Fire and Film, and today I am bringing you the first of a few revision podcasts that are going to come your way this year. I'm bringing you the updates to the key development timeline, which forms question four on paper one or component one. Now, I'm, I'm trying to do this a little bit differently, see if it works, see if it doesn't work. So if you're on YouTube, you will be able to see basically a PowerPoint slide with me inserted into the PowerPoint slide. Um, if you're on the audio feed, if you're on the podcast feed, it's just fair play. So we now have 16 events across the key development timeline instead of the 10 that were assessed last year. 2024 is the first year, so the current year 11s, they're going to be the first year they get assessed on these new events in the timeline, on these 16 events. So I'm just going to take you through them now um, and basically just point some things out along the way should we need to. So the first one is the first moving images, and this is the Lumiere brothers. Now the questions that have come up on the exam a couple of times are when were the first moving images uh, first put on screen? At that point, you, you answer 1895. Sometimes it might say things like who were responsible for the first moving images, and then again at that point you would write the Lumiere brothers. So this is 1895, the first moving images, the Lumiere brothers. Next up, we've got 1985 to 1927, and this is when we saw really the development of silent cinema. So early short films to feature-length, full-length films, during which the period of uh, during in which period the uh, foundations of filmmaking were established. So this is where we started seeing the the horizon of things like cinematography, the principles of editing, continuity editing, lighting mise-en-scene, uh, location shooting, everything that we now analyse as film studies students and academics is what started out here in the development of silent cinema between 1895 and 1927. Next up we have the 1920s and here we have the gradual emergence of a vertically integrated Hollywood film industry. Now I apologise for using the same image on this slide of Charlie Chaplin but it was such a pain in the neck to try and figure out getting all these logos on here, so I didn't. So this is where your big five and your little three questions tend to crop up. So gradual emergence of a vertically integrated Hollywood film industry by established established by 1930, five major studios, so the big five, and three minor studios, the little three. The big five, Paramount, Warner Brothers, MGM, Fox, and RKO, the little three, Columbia, Universal and United Artists. Now, some questions that have cropped up in the past have been named two of the so-called Big Five, two of the so-called Little Three. So the studio names here, crucially, are the things to make sure that you are remembering. Moving on to 1927, and this is when we got our first film with a synchronised soundtrack, and this was Al Jolson starring in The Jazz Singer, which was directed by Alan Crossland. So this was the first time on film that we saw a feature film with a synchronized soundtrack which meant that they were able to record the sound at the same time that they were recording the images and 1927 is the first time here this one's come up again a little bit in terms of questions related to which film was the first one to feature a synchronized soundtrack moving into things like what was its star so while jolson as well the director alan crossland hasn't been mentioned yet but these are these are questions that have come up so far 1935, we then move into Ruben Malmulian's Becky Sharp, which is the first feature-length three-strip technicolor 
um, chlorophyll. Now, technicolor is the term that's given to this three-strip process, but it's named after the company that founded it and sort of innovated that particular style of uh, color processing as well. So Becky Sharp, again, has come up already um, on, on papers in the past. So um, the, the name and its director, so that's why Ruben Mamoulian's name is also featured here. So Becky Sharp, the first feature-length three-strip color film, 1935. Moving into 48, so 1948, the Paramount Court case, which prevented studios from owning all phases of production, distribution, and exhibition process, which is vertical integration, going back to the, the big five and the little three, which led into the 1950s to the emergence of independent film production and agents producing films for Hollywood studios to distribute and exhibit. So this was a big shift from the classical Hollywood system into not quite New Hollywood. New Hollywood sort of came around about the 60s, um, late 60s, early 70s, but you are now looking at the Paramount Court case, 1948, where basically all this idea of vertical integration became came crashing to a halt and you ended up with the rise of more independent films, films that were being made off other people's backs, and they were then seeking the right people to then distribute and exhibit, exhibit that film for them. So after 1948, we then move into the 1950s, and one that comes up a lot, I am finding, um, or actually probably just as much as the others, but it feels like it's just coming up a lot. Um, in the 1950s, the emergence of widescreen and 3D technologies as a response to the growth of television and the corresponding decline in cinema attendance. So what was happening here is that because TVs were coming more widely available in the 50s and because they were relatively cheap for people to put in their front rooms, it was a case of, well, if I can watch a screen at home, there's no point me going out to the cinema to go and you know see all these things this links nicely to the context surrounding rebel without a cause in that with rebel without a cause this idea that adults weren't necessarily going to the cinema at the time everything to do with pop culture was being targeted towards teenagers because they had such a, a disposable income to go and spend on these things so this is where hollywood decided well, we're going to start showing films in widescreen and we're going to start showing films in 3D. Now, some of the questions that have come up on this one in particular are mainly which two technologies um, were, were, were um, sort of prolific in the 50s. And then sometimes you might get a question which is, in which decade did widescreen wide and 3D have a rise or was more prolific? The one on the SAMs, the sample assessment materials, is yet to come up. And that is related to give an example of how um, your film reflects the technological innovation of this time. So the widescreen and the 3D technologies. In which case, you were probably better off going down the route of Rebel, Rebel being broadcast or shown in widescreen. Which again links to the context of the time. Late 1950s, although not the first examples, lightweight and portable cameras were produced for handheld use, which had an immediate impact on documentary filmmaking and were used by a new generation of directors in France. In France, even so, these are French new wave directors. Um, I believe it was referred to as the Nouveau Vague, but I'm, I'm, it's been a while since I studied French cinema and the new wave. Um, so these were smaller cameras, which obviously you can imagine are going to be pivotal for documentary filmmakers more than anybody else this idea that if you're wanting to capture something in the moment that you need a small camera to be able to do that whereas actually it was the french filmmakers as well that innovated the use of these smaller handheld cameras not small but smaller than what we were used to seeing 
Going into the 70s, the Steadicam technology was developed by cinematographer Garrett Brown. Um, it was a stabilizing device, so as you can see by the image there, it, it, basically it's like a full body suit. That's a more contemporary example, um, but it keeps the image steady while retaining this idea of fluid movement. So people were able to walk around with the camera. One of the more famous steady shot or steady cam um, shots is in Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets. And this was first introduced in 1975. And again, questions on this that have come up in the exam tend to be along the line of who uh, developed it, what year was it specifically. Now, some of the things that to notice when you're revising the timeline is that, yes, this is 1970s. So officially, the event on the timeline is the 70s, the entire decade. But it was 75 that it was first introduced, that the Steadicam was first introduced in 1975. Moving into the 1990s, so you get more widespread use of computer-generated imagery, resulted in a move away from filmed special effects and visual effects created digitally in post-production and the computer-generated imaging, so CGI, of characters in films. Now, some questions I've seen, I can't remember exactly which exam series it was from, um, reference Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM, so ILM being quite a crucial company, production company, CGI um house to to be able to to bring this to life and to sort of i suppose help that move from special effects uh, to visual effects so this was all the way through the 1990s now previously this is where the timeline stops this is the end of the sort of 10 initial events but as we all know um if you're a teacher and you're you're planning and, and you are teaching this or you're planning to teach this if you're a student who is assessed it would be assessed this year 2024 you will know that six events were added to this timeline so i'm going to take you through those now so 1995 being the first one so the first cg feature length cartoon toy story directed by john lasseter for pixar now if i was to predict any sort of questions for this film that might come up or this event on the timeline i'm not going to try and predict which ones are going to come up on the exam because i believe that to be a fruitless task but if i was trying to think of the style of questions that came before and what what kind of questions we might get for this one i would go down the route of what was the first cgi feature length cartoon at which point your answer would be toy story who was its director, at which point your answer would be John Lasseter. It also wouldn't surprise me if there was something in there around about which studio was responsible for the first CGI cartoon, at which point I would assume that the correct answer is the one that you would write down, which is Pixar. I don't know where the exam board's going to lie in terms of if you wrote Disney, so I would stray carefully on that one. I think I would go Pixar if I was hedging my bets on that one. Um, so that's 1995, first CG feature-length cartoon, Toy Story. Into the 2000s and to a, a movement that we're going to call citizen filmmaking. So technology available to ordinary people makes significant strikes, strides even, due to developments with lightweight cameras and mobile phone technology. So a rise in citizen filmmaking. This idea that every single one of us now who's watching this, who's you know revising this this topic and this exam and all that kind of stuff has a phone in our pocket or around us that has a camera of good enough quality that means that we can go out and make that film now this is a technological stride it's a technological advancement that hasn't always been around hence it being on the timeline and in the 2000s 
2007, you get to Netflix being the first legal streaming service for film and TV. Um, I mentioned to my students just the other day as I was sort of recapping these events on the timeline that Netflix first started out as to what we used as Love Film, where it was you were sent a disc and then when you watched that disc you sent it back and then they sent you another disc and then eventually it made its platform online and now it's become the absolute cultural behemoth that everyone knows it to be. Um, and again, if I was predicting questions that might come up for this, it might be things along the line of what was the first streaming service? Um, so again, that would be Netflix. It might be things like when was Netflix launched? In that case, it's 2007. Okay, So it's about thinking about the different ways in which these events could come up on the exam. Moving into the 2010s, so successful feature-length films shot entirely on iPhones have now been released. Notable releases include Tangerine, from 2015 and Unsane from 2018. Now, in terms of trying to predict a question for this one, again, you've got the 2010, so it could be reference to the decade. It might even be examples of two films shot on iPhone. So it is worth making sure that you are remembering the names of these two films, so Tangerine and Unsane. 2017, so film and TV streaming and download sites such as Netflix, the aforementioned Netflix, Sky, Amazon and Apple take over DVD sales for the first time, increasing by 23% in one year. And again, if I'm going down the route of questions, you've got 2017 as the year that that first happened. And so a question might be worded somewhere along the line of uh, in which year did film and TV streaming and download sites overtake DVD sales? I'd be surprised, possibly, if uh, a question that went down the route of what percentage, so specifically asking you to remember that 23%, um, but again, that is 2017, and streaming and download sites overtaking DVD sales for the first time. Final event on the timeline, 2018, Avengers Infinity War becomes the first Hollywood film ever to be shot entirely with IMAX cameras. Now, this isn't the first film to have been shot with IMAX cameras. It's the first film to have been shot entirely with IMAX cameras. Previously, I think most of us are aware of Nolan testing things out with The Dark Knight um, and then moving into um, things like Interstellar as well. Um, and now it's more prolific, but Avengers Infinity War was the first Hollywood film in, in its entirety to be shot with IMAX cameras. So again, a question that you might get for this one is what was the first film to be shot entirely with IMAX cameras? It might be in which year did this happen? You know, so again, there's there's a number of different ways to look at this. So in terms of revision, I hope this helps. I hope this video helps of going back through. Um, I've tried to make, for those of you accessing this on YouTube, this accessible as possible in that you will have noticed that the color coding of the different events going across correlate to the one that I'm speaking about. So hopefully this makes it easier for you to jump through. In the event that some sort of quiz or interactive thing might be beneficial, I have made a Kahoot of which I have put a QR code on the screen now, which you can um, scan, which I believe will take you to it. I'm not too familiar with Kahoot. Um, I'm apparently more of a bucket man, it seems to be. Um, but I've added these events to that Kahoot quiz. I'm also going to stick a link to it in the description if you want to click on that as well. But hopefully, again, like I say, that has been helpful. Um, let me know if there's anything time wisey wise that you want me to sort of cover again. 
Um, coming up, I'm going to be doing the Jojo Rabbit episode, um, specifically for students who are studying Jojo Rabbit for the first time and are going to be assessed for the first time on that film this year. I'm also going to obviously do my big revision podcast for this year. So hopefully that, again, is going to be helpful and hopefully this one has been for you too. So thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, look after each other, and I will see you next time.